Good morning, everyone. How are you all doing? I was prepared we weren't going to have the technology beaters there, but we got it in the end, didn't we? So, uh, so we've had the four candles of Advent and the story building up. And Wednesday, we obviously light the middle one and we'll know where we're going um, uh, to light the candle to remember that Jesus has come. And today we're going to look um, and bring the series to a conclusion. There's be a kind of um, an appendix on Wednesday of the series of Who Needs Christmas. But today we're kind of bringing it to the final point of Who Needs Christmas. Now you remember um, the story doesn't begin with a couple who are wondering why they were pregnant 2,000 years ago. It started way before that, 2,000 years before that, with a couple who thought they couldn't believe, they couldn't get pregnant And then the angel comes and says, you'll have a son with Abraham and Sarah going to have a child, which we know then come on to be Isaac. And the blessings that was to come through that particular family, the blessings that were promised to Abraham for his family, and that all nations in the future would be blessed through his generation, through the descendants that would come from here. So that's the story so far. We've looked at how uh, the world was set at a particular stage. The Romans were in control, which meant that there was uh, a network of ports and roads uh, through the, the sea and on land. There was relative peace because they were in charge of so much of Europe and minor Asia as we understand it today. It was as though God had been building to that point, the world needed Christmas. God had getting his stage ready, the preparations for announcing this Messiah. Through for 4,000 years, God had been saying something was going to come. 400 years before Jesus was born, the last prophet said the Messiah is coming. Get ready, make way, get prepared. And now God, who needed Christmas as well for his ultimate act, his love that he wanted to demonstrate to the world. We then ask the question again today, who else needs Christmas? And that's where we're going to pick up today. You know from the story that the angel comes down to see from Mary, we heard it with the candles about the joy. Today we're focusing on in our preparations about Mary. What do we learn from Mary today? Well, what we find out uh, in, um, in Matthew and in Luke is that the angel came. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now, what's in a name? Uh, I just want to focus on that a little bit and just give a, a little bit of a, a side story. As you know, Steve and I have been approved to be foster parents. And on part of our training, we had to talk about our name and what our name meant and where our name had come from. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm one of those people who likes to join in in these kinds of exercises. So I was all ready to share and we're sharing. And actually, as we got through the exercise, I got quite emotional because as you know, my name is Tracy, that's my first name, my given name, Um, but I've always lived with the knowledge that my parents wanted to call me Teresa. Well, I've got a cousin who was born six months before me, 
which I like to remind her I'm six months younger than her. And, um, and so my auntie took that name. And so for all of my life, my mum says, I was going to call you Teresa, but Auntie Eve stole that name and now you're not. So that's how I know my name, because I wasn't Teresa, I am Tracy. And then we started to think about the different pet names that you might have. So this is probably way too much sharing information because some of you are going to use it against me, I know. I was always called Pudding by my family. And, or Love. My greater aunties, you know, my wider family would call me Love, which is really nice, but that's because my older sister is called Faith. Faith, Hope and Love, or Faith, Charity and Love. So there's all these things that are associated with our names. And I was, I was sharing this with this group of strangers who I didn't know. I thought, actually, our name is really important, isn't it? Our name is wrapped up into our family and our identity and our heritage. And it just made me think, you know, the idea was to make us think about the name of, um, of a child and who's given it to them and what it means to them. But I was just, you know, it did make me think, as much as I just think my name doesn't bother me, I don't care how you spell it, I know some people get very protective about how their name is spelled, I've had my name spelled so many different ways, but it's just one of those things that doesn't bother me. But I just thought, wow, you know, a name is important, isn't it? And it made me think about this name that we have in Jesus. All our modern Bibles since King James say Jesus, but actually it's wrong. It's not the actual name. The Hebrew name was always Yeshua. Yeshua is the name. But in Hebrew, you haven't got the J sound. So Yeshua became, uh, was what they would known as the, for Messiah. They would say Yeshua is coming, or the Messiah is coming. That's the Hebrew language. And in the Greek, they couldn't say, that wasn't a word, they don't use that word, the J sound, so they have Christ. That's what the Greeks would say, was Christ. So it's not, we call him Jesus Christ, don't we? We say that, but Christ isn't a surname. It's not Mary Christ and Joseph Christ and therefore Jesus Christ. It's Jesus the Christ or, you know, Yeshua the Christ. So that wouldn't work either, would it? But Christ was the Greek name for Messiah coming. Jesus is actually the Latin translation of Christ. And that's what's come about from Bible translations into English that we now use the word Jesus. That's how we use the word Jesus. But the actual proper word, if we want to speak about Hebrews in terms of what the Israelites and the Jewish people around the time he was born, they known him as Yeshua. That was the name. So we need to just sort of bear that in mind, the importance of names. And Yeshua also was a name for Joshua. Joshua was the name that they would use either or use Yeshua. They would say Joshua for in, in Greek as well. And we know about Joshua, don't we? Who's Joshua from the Bible? Oh, gosh. <sighs> new Bible series for the new year. Sharon? Excellent. Remember that answer as well in a little bit. So Yeshua, Joshua, and Jesus. They're all intertwined when we start to think about the names that we use for Jesus. We use the word Jesus. It's what's been translated over the last four or five hundred years, if not a bit longer. And most of our sayings, our songs, our Bibles all use the word Jesus. But we've been doing it wrong. His name is Yeshua. Yeshua. But we'll leave it there. But I think it's important to think about in terms of how Bible translations have gone over the years in different languages 
if they got Jesus' name wrong, what else has been changed through the translations? But I'll leave that there. We'll, have, we'll do a series on that next year. But there we go. What's in a name? Mary is told that the, by the angel, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Okay? It's important that we remember the Joshua and the Yeshua bit as we go through this morning. Now, if you were a a Jewish person, one of the Israelites, living in uh, the whole of that area in Bethlehem, uh, in Jerusalem, in Nazareth, all of that area, when you heard the name Joshua, you would do exactly what Sharon has done. You would remember Joshua the fighter. You would remember that he was the one who came to save them. You would know when somebody said Joshua was coming, you are going to have a Joshua. That would have just been ringing all sorts of echoes in their heads of the one that they knew who had taken, uh, who had come earlier and taken over Jericho. The Israelite people were living in this Roman oppression. <clears throat> the Israelite people wanted their own land. They felt oppressed. There were things that they couldn't do. People were being killed for silly reasons by the Romans and tortured at this particular time. So when you, can you imagine when you can hear that there is the promise of a warrior coming? There is the promise of somebody who has set your people free in the past is about to come. The people were not looking for another Moses who was going to hear all of the laws and regulations from God. They didn't want that. They had enough laws in the temples. They had enough laws by the Romans. They were oppressed. They wanted to be free. They wanted to be delivered from the current lifestyle that they were living. They wanted something different. And they knew from knowing their um, going to the synagogue and hearing from the rabbis that there was a promise that God would send a Messiah. God would send Yeshua, and it was going to make all things well. So you can imagine that Mary is sitting there, and she's hearing this, and she's understanding what this might be. And in Matthew 1, it said, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So let's just focus on Mary and Joseph for a little bit and by looking at Mary uh, to begin with. Mary was probably in the age bracket of 13 to 15. She was engaged to be married. If you weren't married by the time you were 15, 16, um, and having babies at that particular point, things, you know, you're starting to get shunned a little bit by society. Can you imagine that today? Yeah? Can you imagine being 13 to 15 um, and having all this happen? So you can imagine she's then pregnant... She's engaged, she's pregnant. Can you just play out in your head how that conversation goes with her family? You know, we've heard of shotgun weddings, haven't we? We've heard of dads and that kind of thing. Who's the father? Who is the one? Is it Joseph? 
Is it somebody else? What's going on? Small village, small life, you know, people knowing what's going on. You can imagine the thoughts and the conversations that were going on, the family being in disgrace. What about Joseph? What about this? What's going to happen? All of those conversations, no doubt, were taking place. And Mary says, it was God. It was an angel. Do you think maybe people even thought she was maybe a little bit crazy? Maybe things were a little bit mad? I don't know if anybody uh, since that time has used that excuse with their parents. <laughs> you can do, you know, you get the picture. That Mary's in this situation, a young woman, you know, the kind of future that was expected for her was all there ready to happen, and the angel comes and says, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to be the Messiah. We'll come back to that again in a little bit longer. So let's look at Joseph. Joseph, as we've just heard from that Matthew reading, he was one of the law. He understood what was expected of him as a good Jewish person to follow the law, to do things properly, to make sure that life happened in the way that God wanted it to. He was one of those people who would do it. But again, what did he say to Mary? Because he knew it wasn't him. And here he is about to be shamed. Here he is about to have to deal with this situation. Love Mary, probably be really upset thinking she's been unfaithful to me. What's going on? All of that kind of conversation that's going on. He, at that time, would have had the right to have taken her out publicly and had her stoned. He could have had her killed because of the shame that he, uh, she had supposedly brought onto him and his family and the whole situation. But he says he doesn't want to do that. You know, he loves her. He doesn't want to do that in public. He wants to do something privately so that she is looked after. So we start to see a bit of character of Joseph as we see, as we read in that. Sometimes when we just see the <coughs> sentence and we're so used to seeing it year after year, we just need to explore a little bit about the character of the people that um, were involved. And then he has his moment with the angel the angel comes and tells him um, to not be afraid. So here we have is this, pair, this, this Mary who is going to have a child called Jesus, Yeshua, and it's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now if you think about they're expecting this Messiah, maybe they've even given up hope that the Messiah was going to come. Maybe it was a story that the old people told of, do you remember when this happened and the promises that happened? So long had gone, no prophets, no word from God at all, no signs, no nothing. They're waiting for the Messiah. Do you think that they were expecting it to happen like this? Do you think that they were expecting the, for God to conceive with Mary? Now, in this particular time, they were used to hearing about pagan gods who were with humans. Um, in terms of um, uh, Helena, Troy, Hercules, Zeus, all of those were stories, the Greek mythology that some of you may know, where gods were... Um, you know, fathering children through human uh, females. And so that wasn't who they were. They, they believed in the one God. They believed that God was divine. He was there, he was untouchable. So to then have this concept that this God was going to conceive with a human mother would have just been, that was not what they were expecting. Nobody expected the Messiah 
to have an unearthly father. They like Joshua, he'd had earthly parents. They were expecting him to kind of rise up and be somebody who had been born of human parents. So we start again to feel how the story is unfolding in a different way for a very, very small and select group of people. And my last point here that I just put on there, that actually the way Jesus was born is not critical to the story of God sending a Messiah. And the reason I say that, because it's all about Jesus' death and resurrection, isn't it? After Jesus had died, people didn't start talking about his birth. People didn't go, well, I'm going to follow him now because of the way he was born. After the Pentecost celebrations, when the Holy Spirit had come on the gathered Israelite people, they didn't go, oh, yes, remember. We don't see that in Acts, do we? It was all about his death and his resurrection that we follow Jesus. So in some ways it is important, but in some ways this doesn't prove who Jesus is. So in some ways it's not important. We could forgive Matthew for not actually including it in the gospel because in some ways it makes the story harder to believe. It makes it difficult. It hurts it more than it helps the story to be believable. We all get used to the story, don't we? We've seen, um, we had the schools in on Thursday and it was just amazing. Um, Isambard in particular, they're both amazing schools, Isambard and Meredith, but Isambard reduced me to tears with their stories and how they'd looked at the interpretation, um, how they had, um, uh, the songs they were singing was amazing. I just thought they've got this Christmas message. They understood this message of love. They were just so amazing. And, um, and I just thought that's what it is, isn't it? We get so used to the story. And when you feel a little bit different about it, when you see a different angle of it, it touches you afresh again. But in essence, it's the Easter story that's important. So Matthew could have left it out, but he kept it in the story because it's true. It's true. It makes it harder to believe. But the fact and the way that Jesus was conceived and born was true, and therefore Matthew uh, makes it clear that it's important and it what should be in the story. And the angel continues, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Yeshua is what Joseph would have heard, because he will save the people, save his people from their sins. It's all about the name, as I mentioned. The angel comes to Joshua and promises the Yeshua, the Joshua, this is who this baby is. And Joseph, Joseph would have known his scriptures. Joseph um, would have known about the oppression and that they wanted to be free. He was living it. He wanted the life. He would have known that Joshua was the one who led them across the, the, the waters into the promised land. He was the one who took Jericho. He was the one who took the lands and made sure it all got divided up and brought God's blessing and promise of a land to reality. So when he heard with all the stuff that was going on with his fiance, and he heard it was Joshua, it was the Yeshua. 
He goes, okay, I understand, I know it. He knew it was the Messiah that was coming. And the angel says, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joshua, they would have known who it was. His son, can you imagine? His son. You know, we all love having um, uh, the news of children being born and grandchildren being born. And you, you start to have dreams for where they're going to go with their lives and what they're going to do and how they're going to grow up and the things they're going to do. But before this baby has been born, it's just been conceived, jo- uh, Joseph knows that his son is going to be the Messiah. He's going to make a difference. He's going to be a really special boy. Imagine the excitement of knowing you're going to be a father and the excitement of knowing that this is the special child, how that would have felt for Joseph. Joseph would know that this special boy, this Yeshua, this Joshua, Jesus, was going to save the people. He was going to get them out of this oppressive world that they were living in, the invaders that had come in. And the angel says, you are to give him the name Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. And I reckon Joseph went, woo, hold on a minute. That's not what I was expecting. We want to be saved from the Romans. Don't talk to us about sin. We've got all the rules in the temple and the sacrifice systems to be forgiven for our sins. Why are you saying sins? Why aren't you saying saved from the Romans? Why aren't you saying saved from the oppression? We know that. But Joseph listened. He will save the people from their sins. And I just thought, there's a whole thing here, isn't there, about Joseph is listening and he goes, okay then God, that's fine. Yep, okay, I'm with the program now. I know what I've got to do. How did he know it was God that was telling him all these things? Maybe he'd had cheese the night before or something, you know? Was it just one of those weird dreams? Or, and I think the answer quite simply is when it's God's talking to you, you know. You know when it is God talking to you. You can choose to ignore it I've always found that quite difficult. He always gets louder and louder in my experience and it makes it harder and harder for you to ignore him. But when you know it's God, it is God. There is no doubt that he is the one talking to you. And I think with Mary and with Joseph, even though they knew the backstory and they knew what the name Yeshua meant to them and all of what was going on, they were unmistakable that this was an angel, it was from God, and the message and the servanthood that they were being called to was from Yahweh, the great I am. So he says, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And quite often when we hear this, we think, yes, we're going to be forgiven from, of our sins. The things that we've done wrong, that's great. We can be forgiven. All will be well. We can go back to zero and start again. And people probably were thinking about the old temple system, you know? I've, I've, I've done something wrong. I go and buy an animal. I speak my sin over him. The, sin, the animal is sacrificed and all is made well again. So when we're talking about sins in this particular context with those particular people, that's what's in their head. 
that there is an opportunity to get penance from what I've done and be set free from the guilt and move on. And I reckon they were going, why do we need this? We have a system. What's going on? And a lot of us today live in that cycle of we sin, we ask for forgiveness. Well, it was this, it was that, that's okay, move on. We sin again, maybe doing the same thing. We ask for forgiveness, we sin again, we ask for forgiveness. And um, as you know, we've got the recovery group on a Tuesday where we follow the 12 program. And what we call is we call them the waltzing Christians. They do step one, two, three, and then they go back again. Step one, two, three, and then they do one, two, three. They're known as waltzing Christians because they don't get past the fact that you, are, you sin and you ask for forgiveness. That is not what it's all about. It's on about making a real change and a difference to your life because we can all ask for forgiveness. We can all ask God to be sorry. We can ask our friends to forgive us what we are. But actually, the actions that speak the loudest when you're trying to change, when you're trying to stop sin, is changed behavior, changed thinking in everything that we're doing. And I believe the message of Christmas, the message of this baby that was born in a messy, dirty stable is much bigger than that. Jesus came to deliver us from the power of the sin that has a hold of us. Now, sin is often seen as an old-fashioned word, and I, I think that is true in, in many cases, but let's just call it for what it is at the moment. Sin is brokenness, the brokenness that's in us, that where we do things that we don't really want to do, or maybe we do because actually sometimes they're quite nice things to do, but we do them, and it affects us, and it affects the people around us. That is sin. When we do something that is going to hurt us or hurt somebody else, that hurts God. And that, hurt, and that is what is called sin. When we do something, that is not what God wants us to do. So let's just use the word sin as we go on this morning and call it for what it is. So Jesus had to be born. He had to be born so he could be the sacrifice that will end the temple system. He had to be born so he could be the one who could come and overcome death. He could defeat that for us. He was the one, he was the only one who could come and bring the power of heaven to us so that we can have that power and overcome the things that challenge us and break us and lead us into sin. That's what Jesus came to give us. Every single one of us can reach out and have some of that power to stop us from sinning, to stop us from keep creating problems in our own lives and people around us. It isn't just about forgiveness. God had all of that sorted before Jesus came. There was a forgiveness system in place. Jesus came to change our hearts, to change our lives so that we wouldn't be in slavery and oppressed anymore. He came to deliver us because Yeshua is the warrior king. He is the Joshua. But it was a different fight. It wasn't the fight that people were thinking in terms of a physical war and a fight that would take place. It's the fight that goes on in our head. You know, the battle for our minds, the battle for our everyday lives, the battle that we have to do when we face temptations, the battles that we have to do when we just want to stop 
doing the things that lead us into sin. Because Jesus came to free us. He came to deliver us. He came to set us free from the things that make a mess of our lives and make the mess of everybody else's lives. We've had a, our previous sermon series was looking at who is the boss of you? Is it greed? Is it anger? Is it envy? Is it fear? Jesus came that none of those things would be the boss of you anymore. Jesus came so that you could be free and live a life till it's full. That's what he came to do, to bring salvation, to deliver us from all of the power that this world has within it that wants to snare us and trap us and get us walking away from God. And we see this played out time and time again in Jesus' ministry. If you look at all the stories of his life, it wasn't that about forgiveness, that was part of it. But it was also, he would use that message, go and sin no more. Be forgiven, be set free. It wasn't just about forgiveness. If you think about um, the woman who was caught in adultery, Again, the people were wanting to stone her. They wanted her to be made a mockery of. She was probably, they said, it says in the, uh, in the John bit that she was um, caught in the act of adultery. So she was probably dragged from a man, maybe in bed, all of that. She was probably naked, being made a mockery of. And we don't know the story of what was going on, why she was being unfaithful and all of those things. But whatever, it was messy and it was wrong and it was sin. And Jesus says, anybody else want to accuse her? Well, let's do that if you yourself are free from sin. If you have nothing in you, then you can throw a stone. And we know the story. They all walk away. And Jesus says, where have they gone? And he says, go and sin no more. It's not just a forgiveness story. It's not just an opportunity to say sorry and make it all right. It's about real change. It's about real transformation. It's about knowing that you are freed from these things that keep trapping you into making the same mistakes. Because whatever you want to say, brokenness, sin, whatever is the word that you feel that you can identify with, it kills things. It destroys things. It leads for people um, making choices which can affect their finances, their marriages. People get addicted to things. All of these things are the things that we might call sin that break our lives. Jesus doesn't look down at us when we're in that situation. He doesn't say, oh, you didn't do what I asked. He knows the powers of the world. He loves us anyway. But the great and the good news is is that he gives us a way out. He says, you don't have to be like that anymore. Come to me. Let me be with you in your life. And you can be free. You can be set free. Wherever there is sin, something will die. Whether it is finances, whether it is relationships, whether it is a marriage, whatever it is, whether it is even in your own self-esteem, something will die. So the question is, are we able to sin no more? We can ask for forgiveness, but can we move on 
Can we get to that point where we're not sinning anymore? Jesus says, I came to give you all life to the full. Life, but more than that, life to the full. And to me, that's the great promise that yes, we can. Yes, we can. We can live differently because the Christmas story is so much bigger than forgiveness. Forgiveness just puts us back to the beginning again. It puts us back to zero. And quite often we go backwards. When we're at zero and we have more, we've got life, we're all sorted out again, but we have life to all its fullness, we move on from zero. We have more. Jesus, it's not just a forgiveness story. It's about living life in all its fullness, fullness story. Moving on, as Paul is reflecting, um, one of the uh, early Christians who wrote most of the, what we know as the New Testament and the history of the early church and how people took the message of Jesus with life in all its forward, uh, fullness forward says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't let sin be the boss of you. Don't let the thing that affects you Control your life. Don't let it be there. Do not offer any part of yourself. Don't engage with it. Don't think about it. Don't do it. Just don't, he says. Don't let it be an instrument of wickedness, but rather the opportunity, the alternative thing for you to do is to offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Sin will no longer be your sin. Jesus will come to save people from their sins. Because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. So we have a choice. Each of us has a choice. Do we choose to follow Jesus and we can be a one, two, three Christian where we just do the sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness. But Jesus didn't want that for you. He wanted so much more than that. You know, in the past, we've had some fairy dust as an illustration. It's not that. I can't just say some words here and make your life easier for you. It doesn't work like that. I wish I could. I do not, cannot tell you the amount of stories that I hear and I wish I could just say something that will make a change. None of us can do it for anybody else. It all starts with ourselves. You might wonder why I've got a picture of aeroplanes there. But those of you who've done the Freedom in Christ course, you'll know that there's a, a part of it where it starts about the brain, your mind, and all these temptations and negative thoughts and things that one might call sin are going around our head. You know, where does sin start with? It starts with temptation. It starts with the thought. Which plane are you going to allow to land on your head? Which is the one that you're going to give space in your mind for? Because that's who your master will be the ones you let in, the voices that you listen to. Are you going to listen to the voice of God or the voice of sin? You know, I know we, uh, it's not part of our ecclesiology to think about the devil and the angels sitting on our shoulders at one particular time, but in essence, it helps us understand, doesn't it? What are you listening to? The things that lead you towards God or the things that lead you away 
from God. It's your decision. Only you, only you can make that decision for yourself to turn from those things and to allow Jesus to come in and give you that power. The gift of Christmas, the best gift ever, is Yeshua, is the Messiah, Joshua, Jesus. He is the gift of life. We looked at it last week about the giver of life. But most importantly, he is the one that can free you, that can set you free from the power of sin, whatever that is in your life. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, that's fine, but I don't have any sin in my life, ask some of the people around you. Maybe the people you live with, they might just tell you a few of the things that you might want to focus on. All of us sin. Some of us get better, and the sins we're doing aren't so destructive. But each one of us are working our way through life of not being able to sin anymore. Key thing today, it's not just forgiveness. It's about being set free. This is the gospel message. This is Christianity. This is what it means to follow Jesus, that when you invite Jesus in your life, you can be set free. We will still worry. We still get anxious. We still get fearful. We still get angry. But it's what we do with it. Do we use it well or do we let it cause all sorts of problems? Is that our master? These are all emotions and feelings that we have, but how are you managing them? Are you managing them in the way that God wanted you to manage them or are you just out of control, causing chaos in all that you're doing and where you are? That's who God is. He comes to say, you don't need to have a life of chaos. You don't need to have a life of creating sin in your own life and around you for other people. Jesus came with great power, with great authority, and he passes it on to his disciples that they too may have life and life in all its fullness. This is the message of Christmas. This is why I think it's okay to have tinsel on your head and be joyful and to be celebrating and to have parties and to get excited. It's a long time, a few years since I've been as excited. I'm really excited about Christmas. I don't know why, but it's because I think it's such a great message, isn't it? It's a great message. This is who Jesus is. This is why we're here on a Sunday morning. This is why we serve our community, because we believe that there is hope, that there is joy, that people do not have to live oppressed lives, that they can be free. You know, it's that... um, it's, I can't remember the saying now, so I won't try. But you know, lots of times we've heard this message of it's where you're going to go when you die. Yeah, I believe that, but that's, that's just that's an afterthought almost, you know? That's not the reason why I follow Jesus because I'm worried about what's going to happen to me when I'm, die, when I'm dead. I want to have a life now and a life in all its fullness. I want to look in the mirror and feel comfortable with who I am and know I'm making good decisions and I've got the power of Christ in me to overcome that the world is going to chuck all sorts at us. But we've got the power to overcome. We don't have to react like the world. We don't have to say, oh, well, that's how I'm made, or that's what's going on. That's not who Jesus is. If you are a Christian, you have the power to go, I am going to respond the way in which Jesus asks me to, because it's in me. 
It might take us a while to make that active decision to go, this is what I know I should do. It's really hard, but I'm going to try and do it. And if you keep trying, you keep trying and keep trying, do you know what? What happens is you automatically do the right and godly thing. But you have to take action. You have to make that decision. Do I want this? Oh, I just want to carry on having a life of chaos. And it might not seem like chaos, but at some point you come across something that creates a chaos in your life. So who needs Christmas? Week one we looked at, well, the world needed Christmas. The world was in such a place that needed to know that the promises of God had not died, that there was hope. Last week we looked at that God did. God needed to let the world know that he loved them. He hadn't forgotten them. He was there ready. He had this plan and it was about to break forth. And who else needs Christmas? Us. All of us. Anyone who needs to be saved from their sin. Anyone who needs to be saved from bad decisions that they've made in their life. And for me this Christmas, one of the things that's really struck my heart is this saying in Matthew, this scripture in Matthew, it says, you are to give him the name Jesus. You are to give him the name Yeshua. You are to give him the name Joshua. Could you imagine the hope when they heard that? You are, it's not just, oh, by the way, I've picked a name out of the baby book. I am to, you are to give him the name Joshua. The king is coming. I have not forgotten you. You are going to be set free. This is the message when the baby was conceived. And he was given that name because he will save his people from their sins. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christmas. But more than that, Lord, we thank you for the story of you coming to love people, of how you created us and how you came to be known to human beings through Abraham and Sarah. Thank you, Lord, that it was all in your perfect timing of how you created the right environment, the right stage, and you sent your son knowing how it would end. But you sent your son that we would be free, even 2,000 years later, that we can be here living in freedom and living life to its full. And so, Lord, my prayer for people here today is that they will grab hold of that gift, grab hold of that promise with both hands, with the whole body, and just embrace what you are offering. That they will make a choice that they want Joshua, that warrior king, to be on their side, fighting their battles, leading them through the fog of this world. So come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and make yourself known to us. Come and let your power rest on every single one of us. Come and let the good news of Christmas be made real in this place, in our hearts, in this fellowship, and in this community. 
In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.